Amen. Wow, what a beautiful song. What an amazing and beautiful truth. I can't even begin to describe to you what I've been through, what I've experienced, the adventure that our team has gone through over the last 12 days. Been to places seen, touched, felt, experienced, smelled. Unbelievable. The things that stand out, I mean, it'll take, like I said, it'll take me months for me to be able to unpack some of the things that have happened in just those few 12 days. But one of them that sticks out probably the most for me is the garden tomb. So I stood there and, and we were we had just got done, we'd come through a tour and we'd seen where Calvary was, where Golgotha was, the place of the skull. And I sat and stared up at that hill right in front of me. I knew that that was where the, the blood was spilled. That's where he gave his life. That's where he said it's finished. And I was just, I can't even wrap my mind around it. It touched me in ways that I can't begin to describe to you. We walked down and I was going towards the garden tomb and as I did it, it, it began to pour the rain I got closer and closer and I got in the line as I was standing in the line that was heading towards the tomb to go inside the tomb I was standing there and it began to pour it just poured the rain I didn't have my umbrella I didn't have nothing so I was drenched and all these people were getting out of line and I was just like there is no way I'm getting out of line no way so I stayed there and as I got closer and closer, I, I just sensed the power, the presence of God. I felt the Lord's pleasure that I came to see where my salvation was purchased. I felt His pleasure. You know, I was one of these people that had kind of lived my life saying, well, you know what, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I'm a Pentecostal Christian, so we have the Spirit of God in us, and I don't have to worry about, you know, going to Israel, that they haven't even accepted the Messiah. I did all those, I did all those things that made me think, ah, you know, Israel's not for me. Never really, really cared about going, you know, in my flesh. More and more and more over the last few years, I've been having a desire to go. And boy, was I ever wrong. It was like a, a 3D experience. I, I remember the first time I ever put on 3D glasses to watch a movie and I was just blown away you know it's like you can't believe it it's like it's all coming right at you it's all alive that's that's exactly the way I felt everywhere that I went I touched walls I, I took time to see it and then the other thing that was amazing was that not only was all my five senses working all the time but my heart was skipping beats my heart kept just jumping and it was like this, I'm standing at the tomb and it starts to pour the rain and I'm standing there and I'm getting closer and closer and I was singing this song over and over in my heart and just kept thinking about how he's not there, he's not there, he's overcome the grave, he's, he's, he, that's an empty tomb and I thought that was an empty tomb for me, he came on a mission for me and for you and for all of us and as I was getting closer and closer my heart was just turning somersaults and all of my emotions was just blown away. And I was just lost in it. 
And then I got in the tomb. And when I got in the tomb, it wasn't there. It was empty. I had been to many different tombs all over Jerusalem, all over the area. that We went to the tomb of Abraham, of Isaac, Jacob. Went to all of these tombs and we saw where the people were buried. Zachariah's tomb. This was the one tomb in Jerusalem. It was empty. And boy, that that came home to me. And I worshiped and I felt the Lord. I felt the brokenness that it was my sin that put him there, that my sin put him on that cross. It was my life, my salvation that brought him to this earth. Did he walk these streets? Did he walk right here where I walked? Did he touch this wall? I mean, I was just blown away everywhere I went, just the thoughts that my Jesus walked these streets, that he, he touched these walls, that he was standing on this shore. It's unbelievable. But when I got up to that tomb, probably the most affected I was on the whole trip, I got closer and closer and closer and started humming and singing this little song. And I got inside and I saw that it was empty and the Holy Spirit just touched my heart. And emotionally, I just, I can't even tell you what I experienced except that all the emotion was met with what was going on inside my heart and it was beautiful and so I hope that you'll kind of just allow me to do something I did this in first service and I want to do it in this one I want to sing that song that I sang at the tomb inside my heart saying silently closely to myself I want to sing it for him today the first time I'm back in the pulpit after he's given me such an amazing trip There's a peace I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say it is well Jesus has overcome And the grave is overwhelmed The victory is won He has risen from the dead And I will rise When He calls my name No more sorrow, no more pain I will Fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. There's a day that's drawing near when the darkness breaks to light and the shadows dim. And my faith becomes my eyes. Jesus has overcome.
Stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Yes, Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, we believe in the operation of the gifts in the church. 1 Corinthians, Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That in operation in the church and what you've just experienced is what the Bible calls in Corinthians. It talks about the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to the group, to us, to this body this morning and equipping us, edifying us, building us up in the Spirit of God. It's in your scripture. Read that. Understand that and know that he's speaking to us today. And man, isn't that a beautiful word this morning? It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Get yourself ready. I tell you, the world is full of confusion. They're trying to cause us to doubt everything that we've ever believed in. That if they had their way, we'd shut up, we'd sit down, they'd quit being a problem. But I'm telling you, I'm here today, and I've just come back from the Holy Land. And let me tell you what I know. He is real. He's real. I know he's real. Hallelujah. If you'd stand with me, we're going to read from the Word of God this morning. As a matter of fact, that's the message today. He's real. Christmas in 3D. I'm living my life now in 3D since I've been there. And I can't wait till we can take a trip. I want to take a thousand of you straight to the Holy Land. I want you to be there and experience the beauty and the wonder of this beautiful land. I think every Christian should go. Every Christian should go once. It's like, you know, people who love, you know, the mountains go to Gatlinburg. You know. If you love Jesus, you ought to try to get to the Holy Land. I didn't realize it myself. I'm going to push it harder. I, I bought my own Star of David, and I've got it today around my tie because I appreciate I respect the heritage of faith that I have. You know what I found out? I found out that my grandfather was German Jew. So you're talking to a Jewish man right here. An Australian one, but nevertheless. I'm thankful when you get over there, you see just how much, Vanessa, it's so good to see you. You see how much he loves you. He loves us. What I saw all over that entire community, Jerusalem, on our way through Bethlehem, and going past all the Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, what I saw over and over again, Brother Michael, was this huge, big billboard. Phyllis, it's good to see you today. God's saying, I love you. I love you this much. I love you this much. Beautiful. But you know, troubles come. Life gets hard. We have so many people trying to steal, take away our faith, trying so hard to wear us down to where we don't even believe anymore. John the Baptist, the forerunner, the messenger of Christ, was in a similar situation when he was cast into prison on the night before he was beheaded. Things were tough for him. He believed, but he just needed reminding. And he sent his servants through the bars. And this is the scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, 
this was the message they had to give Jesus. Are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Father, we ask your blessings on the word of God. Speak to us. Challenge us. Because this is the question. The question that plagues the hearts of men and women all over this world. It's the struggle of humanity. Are you the one? Lord, I feel I know that answer. Many in this room today know that answer. But God, I want you to speak to us through your word today. For those who might be in that wilderness place that might need clarity and understanding and focus on who you are. In Christ, your name we pray. Amen. Shake hands this time and uh, you can be seated with somebody. As you can probably guess, I'm pretty excited to speak today. Couldn't wait to get back uh, to the pulpit and to preach. After being in this place, I feel like, again, it will take me forever. It'll take me months to unpack all the things I told you that I would pack my pockets full. Well, I have in, in many more ways than you could imagine because I am a guy who loves to collect things. So I, every time I went somewhere, if I went to the Garden of Gethsemane, I, I had to pick up a little rock. Or if I went somewhere else, everywhere I went, I was just picking up stuff. Before I knew it, I didn't know what to do with my suitcase because it was so heavy. So I stayed up till 2 in the morning on the night before we flew back. Sister Priscilla, I stayed up till 2 in the morning trying to weigh it out in both suitcases and several things I had to end up carrying in a, grocery, or in a shopping bag onto the plane, you know, trying my best to make it happen. But I collected lots of different things, and as I came along and went, went along the, the, the different places, you know, we, we saw so many exciting and wonderful things, things that let me know in a 3D kind of way that he is who he says he is. He's the real deal. He's all over that city. He's everywhere. Every marker, every place where Jesus walked, it's marked. It's there for you to see it, feel it, touch it, smell in the air. Uh, the loved the smell of the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean, of the different place, the Dead Sea. What an experience. And yes, I got in the Dead Sea and floated. You know, it was crazy. You don't have to do nothing. Just lay down and bump. You come up like a, like a fishing bob. You know, it's a crazy thing. But then, of course, knowing me, I reached down and I picked up a bunch of salt on the bottom and put it in my pocket. And yes, I have salt at my house from the Dead Sea. And no, you can't have it. <laughs> I loved everything. I just, I, I tried to feel all of it connected in such a, a neat way. And one of the most amazing experiences was when we, we the different places we went, I would always just have to see it, touch it, feel it, get out there. And we went to the valley in between two mountains where David fought Goliath and where he killed Goliath, the Valley of Elah. We know in ancient time and in Scripture it's written that this is exactly where it took place. So we're standing there, and this is the field where David, the young David, brought lunch to his brothers on this side, and the Philistine army was on this side. And I'm looking at both hillsides, and I'm looking at the valley in between, and you know, me and Brian, Pastor Brian and Marty, we, we just took off. We took, we took off running off the side of the road, and we got down in that field. I'm standing there, and then the next thing you know, we're reenacting David and Goliath, and we're, they're filming that, and so I'm, I'm standing up, and I'm looking at, at, I think it was Marty. Marty was the Goliath guy because he's tall, so he's standing back there, and I'm like, 
You come at me with your, your short sword and your shield and your spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord and the captain of the armies of God. And I picked up a rock and I just rah, I threw it at him. And he acted like he went down, you know. <laughs> we got it all on video and you will never see it. No, I'm kidding. It's a great experience. We got Brian involved in it. He had to reenact it too. So he's in. He's, oh, he, he says, I've got the video. <laughs> okay. Love you, Pastor Brian. Love you. But one of the things I did, of course, because it's what I do, is I looked at this field and I couldn't believe it. And I thought, you know, wow, it all makes such sense when you're here, when, you, when you're standing in this field and looking at it. You, you see the dirt. You see the valley. You see all the, the plants around you. But you... You see something else. You see that all in this field of Elah, there is, there is stones, rocks everywhere. I mean, you could never walk through there barefoot. You'd hurt yourself. So many rocks. And so, of course, I looked down and I said, yep, I got one. And here it is. This is one of the rocks that was in that field and it, you can see it's smooth, it's nice, but it has a jagged point to it. So I know it could get the job done, right? So I know that I'm reenacting in my own mind what happened. David is down there. He's looking at Goliath, and he's just like, how dare you? This army back here, these Israelites, they're shaking in their boots. But I'm not afraid of you because I know who God is. And there is something really awesome about somebody who finally figures out who God really is. You know, the strength and the boldness that comes into them. So I could see him in that moment. I could see him looking around, just figuring out what am I going to do to get this guy. And he looks at that giant. He's not intimidated at all. And he just looks down. And there are literally thousands of these soft stones everywhere and I saw I in my heart he picked one up picked up five of them as a matter of fact just for backup but I believe it was just the one that he needed just one and from there the rest is history now we've been preaching this message for thousands of years about how the giants in your life can come down if you'll have faith and confidence in God who can empower whatever you have in your hand. It doesn't matter what it is. He can empower you to overcome your giant. And they have to come down in Jesus' name. That's the power that we're talking about. So, yeah, I've got this, and I've got many other rocks, and I've got water from the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know how they let me by, but I've got a whole Coke bottle full of the Jordan River at my house. It's awesome. You know, so I've got all these things. I got the Dead Sea, you name it, Mount of Olives. I got stuff. I got the Garden Tomb. I know the Garden. I got Calvary. I got all these things. Garden of Gethsemane. I got all this stuff. And I don't know how they let me get it home, but I got it home. The experience was just surreal. It was unbelievable to encounter and experience these things that brought my faith. My, my everything I've ever preached, everything I've ever believed in, made it real. But I understand where John the Baptist was was at when he was in his circumstance, because this is this is everywhere. I mean, all over the city of Jerusalem, it's it's obvious that the question is being asked. It's being asked in Ohio. It's being asked in Washington. Everyone's asking, "Are you the one? Are you the one?" That question, that question is what divides the world. 
That question is what unites the world. Because there is an answer. There is an answer. Now I understand why Jesus, when he looked at his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? And they, well, some say you're like Elijah, you're the, you're the prophet, you're, you're John the Baptist, you're this, you're that, you're, you're different things, a teacher, a rabbi. And then he looked into their faces, and because of all the confusion about who he is, he looked into their faces and he said, who do you say that I am? And it just so happens that we were in Caesarea Philippi at the very spot coming down off the mountain where the Jordan River begins. And there you are, this little creek that coming down the mountain opens up to become the Jordan River. And there is this mountain in front of us. And this is the place where Jesus looked at his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? And I got to preach there. Pastor Marty, Pastor Brian, they got to speak there as well. I got up and I, I was able to preach at that very spot. And I got to, my favorite part of any message I've ever preached in my whole life is when Jesus looks at the disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And I love to get to the part where I, I enact Peter as he stands up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And I did it right there at the spot where it happened. I got to say it. I said it out loud, thou art the Christ. And you know what? I felt, Christian, this rush of the Holy Spirit. I felt the power of God. Not only was my five senses just going crazy, but my heart, the Holy Spirit inside my heart was saying, yeah, you go, boy. That's it. You know, it was like amazing to have the 3D experience of of knowing that the things I'm seeing, I'm experiencing, I'm touching, I'm feeling, all of those things. A reality, and God just kept screaming over and over again. Now I know I said it on the trip. It was like God sent us a billboard clear back to when he renamed Jacob. He looked at Jacob and he said, your name shall be Israel. And I sat there and I looked at the guys on the bus and I said, God was telling us from the very, very beginning, he is real. He's real. Is real. God is real. He's been trying to tell us for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That he's real. I sensed it. I knew knew it before I went. But now in such a different kind of way. It's different. When Peter stood up, he knew what he knew in a way that he'd never been able to experience it before. I stood there. I know what he was feeling. I went over and dripped my hand, put my hand down in the Jordan River. Angie did. She went over and she just just put her hand down in that river and pulled it up to her face. and, And we were just like, this is the Jordan River. Are you kidding me? That's not just a replica. It's not something on TV. It's not Charlton Heston. No, this is the Jordan River. And it was amazing to touch it, to feel it, to see it, to know that the stories of the Bible, they're not fables. They're real. You can see them. You can touch them. You can walk where Jesus walked. You can feel what he felt. You can see the, the things that he was looking at when I stood on top of the Mount of Olives. It was a, one of the most breathtaking experiences of my life as I stood there and I recounted what I know about the Word of God because, as you know, the angel said to the disciples, as you've seen him, Go. He ascended from that spot. And I'm standing there. And I'm like, he left from here. He went straight up. And I'm feeling it. And I'm seeing it. We're getting pictures taken. And I'm thinking about the angel who said, 
as you've seen him go, so shall he come again on this spot. And then Revelation tells us over and over again, he's going to land on the Mount of Olives. And when he does, it's going to split in two as he then walks right into the city. And I'm looking from Mount of Olives straight at the gate, straight at the gate, the eastern gate that he's going to walk through. And it's completely all blocked up. And then I started hearing the stories. The story is about the king 500 years ago who said, that Jewish holy man is not about to come through my gate. I'm not letting him take my throne. So he ordered that the eastern gate be completely concreted and shut up. And it's there. It's shut up. You can't get in. Nobody can get out. But I thought about it. And I stood there and I said, Lord, man, they really don't want you in there, do they? They don't want you. They don't want you in Washington. They don't want you in Oregon. They don't want you in the Mideast. They don't want you anywhere. And I thought about it even further. And then I heard another story. There was all kinds of graves. I'm talking a thousand more or more graves that were all on this side of the temple site. And they were in front of the eastern gate, the golden gate, the mercy gate. The gate that he's going to enter in to go set up the kingdom in Israel and right in Jerusalem. And I, I thought, why is there so many graves? Well, somebody told me. They said, that's all Muslims right there around the front of it. They put all kinds of Muslims there because they know that a Jewish holy man, if he follows the rules of the law, he will never traipse over top of a grave. It's, it defiles you and it makes you unclean. So they have taken years and years and years and generations of stacking their bodies all over this eastern gate and as they've done that you can see it it's unbelievable I couldn't believe my own eyes when you see all of the graves they're stacked up all the way up to it just on top of each other all kinds of people graves dead bodies and they're all laughing thinking haha he'll never he'll never walk through there it'll defile him it'll go against everything they teach and I said Lord they've put all them graves in front of the mercy gate they put all of that in front of that king he closed it up with concrete God he's not making it easy for you. You got to go through there. How are you going to do that and still follow all these rules they're talking about? And he spoke to me and he said, weren't you at the garden tomb? And I was like, yeah, I was there. I saw it's empty. He said, that's right. And don't and remember what happened there. He said, when I came out of that tomb where I was alive and I had been risen from the dead, he said, you, you remember, I went down into the caverns of hell and I pulled out the keys to death, hell, and the grave. There ain't no grave I'm afraid of. There is no gate I'm afraid of. He said, when I step on Mount of Olives, every bit of that is going to cry right down the middle and part away for me to walk through. And by the way, There'll be the biggest display of fireworks you ever saw when he blows that gate wide open and he walks through into Jerusalem to set up his throne right there in our midst. Ah, glory to God. It's going to be an awesome day. Can't even imagine what it would be like when we're standing there together with him and he comes through that gate. And we'll be with him. I get to see that. You know, that's part of the millennial reign when we get to come with him. And he sets that up. So I'm going to be like, yo, here I am. You know, I'm like, move out the way. I'm going to see the Muslims running. Hopefully they'll run to him. Ain't no worries. And what's beautiful is from the Mount of Olives, you just walk straight down the hill into the Kidron Valley and straight up into the gate. It's going to be easy. And when he blows it all wide open and he steps in there and steps on the throne, 
my goodness, do you understand this is not a blockbuster film I'm talking about. This isn't the latest sequel to Star Wars. This is not something Hollywood has created. This is what you and I hold in our hearts and believe with all of our might. We will see the King of kings and Lord of lords set up his throne. And there we will reign with him a thousand years before we get ready for eternity where we will absolutely, who knows what will be next after that. I've always often thought about, Lord, what's the orientation meeting going to be like after the great white throne judgment? You're going to sit us down and tell us about what's next. I can't wait. My faith and my confidence is in God and who he is. And I found out the stuff that we read about, the things that we hear and we heard preached and we hear sing about all of those things, they're real, they're real. I know they're real. I've touched them, I've felt them, I've sensed them. I've been there to the garden tomb and it's empty. I was there at Calvary and I looked up at the hill where my salvation was purchased and not only did my senses go nuts, but oh, my heart was doing somersaults. It was an unreal experience to stand there and know. Somebody says, well, you know, they say that's not really the tomb. That's not really the place. Well, the, the stories that they talk about, the evidences that they put together make it pretty clear of where things really are. But I learned this. I, as I was standing there, I closed my eyes in the pouring rain, and I was drenched all the way to my feet. And I was like, I felt the Spirit of God. I was singing that song in my heart, and I was moving up closer and closer and closer to the tomb. And I felt like there's Calvary, there's Golgotha, and you just bring him right down and put him right in here in this wall. And this would have made sense that this is where it's at and then all the evidences that point to it. But I looked up at the little hole, the little door that you walk into, and I said, Lord, is this where you were? Is this it? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, this is where I was. This is where I was. I'm not there anymore. And I felt the Holy Spirit confirm that in me. And man, that's when I started feeling him. And then when I got inside and I looked at the place where they laid him, where he was and he laid there, I thought about the folded clothes on either side and the angels that would have been standing outside of that little hole in the wall. I couldn't believe myself that I was standing right there. Let me tell you something. There's a day coming when all the things that you and I have ever heard about or known about, we're going to see it for what it really is. We're going to experience it for what it is. But even better than that, I'm not so interested that we have to go back necessarily. I'm looking forward to streets of gold and a throne around the great white throne there that will stand where the Bible says the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and power and wisdom and strength. And this is what we've got to look forward to. It's all coming, and I'm so excited about it. We sing. We sing about that holy night. We sing about it. We talk about it. Christmas is full of decorations and lights and all kinds of things. And don't get me wrong, I'm not condemning any of that. I like Jingle Bell Rock. It's my favorite one song, that and Oh Holy Night. I go either way. You know, I got the Jingle Bell Rock on one side, and I got Oh Holy Night on the other. And I'm so, didn't the ballerinas do a wonderful job? They were so awesome. Thank you. Thank you for all those who are working with them. They are so precious and sweet. I believe the Lord looks down on them and, and just sees their pure little hearts and that he loves them. He's got so much in store for us. But we've got to get past the question. We've got to get past you, You've got to get past it. 
there's someone in here today, you, you've got to get past the, the, the valley of pondering. You've got to get past that place in your life where you're, you're not making a decision one way or the other because there's so many voices screaming at you. Well, I don't know which prophet, which Lord, which God, which religion, which... I'll tell you something. The one that has the empty tomb is a good place to start. <laughs> the one that has an empty tomb. The one that goes beyond just knowledge, fairy tale stories, but promises that if you invite him into your heart, you can know him. He says, my spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. You see, the thing that made the difference in my life was that July 2nd, 1981, sitting at Hera Arena in Dayton at a camp meeting, when I was sitting there as a young man raised up in the church and had gotten, oh, you know, religious, several different revivals in my life, but never really let anything change my life. But on that night, July 2nd, 1981, about 8.35, in, in the night, right about that time, I made a decision. Heaven was knocking on my heart's door in a way that they had never knocked before. I felt my heart was racing. I was looking up into the rafters of that building, and I said, God, I just need to know that you're real. I just need to know that you are really real for me, that if I get up and go down there and make a commitment to you, that I am making a commitment to a God who is for real. I don't want to guess. I don't want to doubt. I don't want anyone to do it blindly. I want to know that I know that you're real. And right about that time, what you just heard a few minutes ago happened in that service. A message was given out in the audience, but in tongues. And then the preacher that was preaching that night, W.P. Atkinson, got up to the pulpit and he interpreted the message and what he said, I will never forget it because it happened right after I had just prayed that prayer to God. And he said these words, he said, if, if you will just come to me, I will make myself real to you. He said, and I will empower you for my service, says God. Unbelievable. I never have forgotten those words because at that particular time, I wasn't called to ministry. Had no thought of going. I wasn't even a Christian. I was not saved at all. I didn't know where I stood. But in that moment, I said, if I just knew that you were real, then he comes back and is like, yo, come to me and I will make myself real to you. And I was like, you just heard me. And I got up and I walked out of my seat. And I got down to the front. By the time I got down to the front, I was already bawling. And I didn't know why I was crying except my heart was broken for my life and for making a decision. And I just felt God. I felt heaven. And for some reason, I was weeping over it. I got down to the front. And I looked at the preacher. And it just happened to be some guy. I didn't know who he was at the time, but he ended up being Lane Sargent, who was the pastor of some church in Middletown. I didn't know who he was. There was a white-haired man standing next to him named Ron Medley, which I didn't meet till later. But who in the world could have known on that morning or that evening when I walked down to that altar and met these two strange men that one day I would be the pastor of the very church that they're part of because they were there the night I prayed through. And not only prayed through and received Christ, but went on to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. I remember what Lane Sargent said to me. He said, my Lord, son, the Holy Ghost is all over you. And very theologically, I looked at him and I said, I know. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. My life changed. He touched my heart. 
I went home that night, laid in my grand. I was staying at my grandma's house, and I got in my bed and laid, looked up at the, at the up at the ceiling in that bed, and I was still crying. I was just like, why am I crying? I'm like, why? What is wrong with me? This is so awesome, though. I feel so clean. I feel so good. I feel like I've made a decision. I feel like life is finally having purpose. It's all coming together. It was an amazing moment. This is the truth of who we are. And when you take that, multiply that by going to the Holy Land, I'm going to tell you, it is like God on steroids. It's a beautiful thing. This trust in God, I'm here to tell you, if I don't tell you anything else, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. He is real. He is the real deal. When John the Baptist asked the question, you know, is he, he he's gotten so uh, bombarded and attacked that he's been arrested, he's thrown in jail. He's sitting there in jail and he's hearing, he's hearing these stories. He had confronted King Herod about his infidelities and his immorality and he had gotten in trouble and because of that now he's in prison his life is going to be demanded of him as the woman that wanted him so bad is now demanding his head on a platter and he's sitting there and he's hearing that out there he's walking on water out there he's healing the sick out there there's all kinds of miracles happening you know I stood on the Sea of Galilee and as we were all together as a team and we were there I was walking the shore like everyone else and I was staring at this place where Peter was fishing with his buddies and they were out on the the water and they had toiled all night long and had caught nothing. They came back in and Jesus is standing on this shore, the very shore that I was standing on. I have those moments, I'm sorry. It's, it's... And he tells Peter, Peter, go back out again. This time, throw the nets on the other side. He said, Lord, we're fishermen. We're professionals. We've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing using all of our skill. He said, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. Went out there and you know the story. This, and I'm standing there looking at this. And I'm thinking, how far out did the boat go? Right about there, maybe? Yeah. Were they looking at this shore right here? Where was Jesus' little fire where he was cooking and breakfast? I, I don't know. They go out and they throw the net over and they have more fish than they can handle. So much so that their buddies that were laughing at them for doing it the wrong way, for going back out again, had to be called in to help them carry in all the fish that came. And we're standing there on this spot. And I'm like, Lord, the, the garden tomb, the, the mountains. I mean, Israel is beautiful. It's unbelievable. It's lush. It's tropical. It's like a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet it's got desert. You can be one minute you're in this tropical, lush area, oasis, where you're seeing all this beautiful, just all kinds of vines of flowers and fruits. And they're all just hanging over. Just literally, like you can't even begin to collect them all or carry them all. There would be no way. Just overabundance. And then you can be driving, and then you go right into a desert. And I mean, it's like the Sahara. It's the desert. And you've got these mountains. We went to Masada. You, you've got the Dead Sea, and we're floating in the Dead Sea. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth, below sea level. And, and it's, this water is just so salty, and I made the mistake of going. <laughs> Worst mistake of my life. 
Imagine a dump truck full of salt, and you licked your, your hand, and you just slipped it in there and just ate the stuff. Oh, it was, yeah. It took 30 minutes to get it out of me. Salt. Dead Sea, just all these things. And I'm like, God, this, all of this is so amazing. All this in one place. One tiny little place the size of New Jersey. It's unbelievable. The mountains were huge. They were massive. They, they, you couldn't even contemplate how big they were. And, and they were jagged. And they were gorgeous and just beautiful. And some were desert and some were not. The, the Beatitudes, the Mount of Beatitudes, where he did the, the beautiful Sermon on the Mount. Beautiful stuff. The Mount of Olives. The olive trees. I stood in the Garden of Gethsemane where the, there was eight trees in that little garden that are over 3,000 years old, Amy. They're 3,000. That means they were there the night that Jesus cried and prayed and won in that garden. For me, the, the whole salvation experience we know was fought and won inside the garden, Brother Michael. It was there that he fought and won that battle. The cross was the fulfillment of all that. But the battle was won in prayer when he said, Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Bam, it was won. And then he went on to complete the work. And I'm looking at these lush olive trees, which I've never seen before in my life. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of them. Olive trees everywhere and these hillsides that are gorgeous and beautiful. Fountains and springs. And it's lush and beautiful. And then it's these dry, barren desert areas. And I'm looking at all of this together. And I'm walking along the Sea of Galilee. And I looked up. I sat down. And I said, God, this is all just so beautiful. I know now why you chose this land. It's, it's the most beautiful land on earth. And I said it. And yes, I'm making a confession this morning. I said, Lord, this is more beautiful than Australia. And if you know me, you know that's a big deal. It's more beautiful than Australia. It's the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my whole life. And I was teared up. And I was like, Lord, it's just beautiful. To imagine you walked on that sea in the storm. I wonder what the storm looked like that night. I'm looking at the water. I touched the water. I, I scooped it up in my hands. And I'm, I'm looking at all this. And, and I said, it's all beautiful. You made all this. You, you designed all this. You picked this spot, Lord. You, you did good, Lord. This is awesome. And he spoke to my heart. It's like you waited for me to finish. Sister Beverly, when said to me next, broken into a million pieces. He said, you think it's beautiful? I'm like, it's beautiful. He said, I made you for this. I made you for this. I made you for this. And I felt his love just, it's amazing. Grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Now I see, I feel, I touch. Can't wait to go back. I'm going to take every one of you with me. We're going to take a thousand shuttle. We'll take our, we'll figure it out. You have to see us. But you know, if we don't hear, we will later. The awesome thing that it screamed to me was that he loved me. He loves me. He loves you. I remember little Abraham, who I prayed with 
tonight that he went to heaven. And I know he went to heaven. Because I prayed in his ear and I said, Abraham, you're very sick. You're hurt really bad. I said, pray this prayer with me, Abraham. And your daughter Maria was sitting on the other side. And I said, if you can hear me, buddy, squeeze my hand. And he squeezed my hand. And he squeezed her hand too. And she said, he hears you, he hears you. And I prayed with him, making sure he was right with God. The God that we love, the God that we serve, he loves us so much, he chases us down. He rips down the wall. He climbs the mountain. He does whatever he's got to do to find us. And he has created such a story, such a beautiful thing for us. Don't let this world and all of its garbage. Don't let, you know, as, as I saw in, in, in Jerusalem and in the area of Israel, I saw the way they're all trying to steal the lands. We couldn't go into Bethlehem because of the signs that were hung outside of the city entrance. You, you're not allowed in there if you're Israeli or if you support Israelis. We assumed Christians are not safe there either. We almost got in trouble, actually, when we went to the tomb of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. When we got up there, we almost got in trouble because there was a, a, a protest going on, and they were screaming and yelling, and, and we were told by the Israeli security, get those Americans out of here. There's so much division so much trouble, so much turmoil, so much confusion. Clear back to John's day. Are you the one? Or should we look for another? Are you the one? Are you the one? All over Israel, they're fighting. They're taking Bethlehem away. They're trying to take it away. They took the Temple Mount away and put a mosque right in the middle of it. They're doing their best to shut us up, shut us down. They want to do everything they can to deny Jesus is who he is. They're doing everything they can. That ultimately, when it's all said and done, the thing that Jesus gave to John is what I give to you this morning in closing. And Gary, if you'd help me. Jesus didn't get mad at John because he asked that question. He didn't have a problem. He doesn't have a problem with you and me because we doubt. Are you kidding me? There's all kinds of atheist philosophers and all kinds of people cramming all kinds of stuff down our heads, down our throats. And they're doing their, they laugh at you if you believe. They, they curse you if you believe. They, now we're the bigots. Now we're the bad guys. We're conservative people who just, you know, Andy Griffith is bad. You know. Aunt B is a witch. World is screaming that we're a lie, that we're judgmental because we want people to choose bathrooms. They're trying to tell us that we're the bad guys. And all over the whole world, all over the whole world, they're cursing, killing, beheading Christians. Don't think they're not. They're coming against us. And they're like, what? What does your religion have that mine doesn't have? We have a prophet. We have a Lord. We have a God. But as I mentioned earlier, theirs have a tomb. Theirs has a body. Ours don't. And ours didn't copy off anybody else. But here's the big thing I shared with you about my July 2nd, 1981 night where my life was completely transformed and changed. 
That's the proof that he's real. I went down one way, came back another way. My life was changed. My life was set. You're looking at a guy who has a very successful uncle who happens to be watching right now from Tennessee. Very successful. He was vice president of Smith Klein Beecham Glaxon Company. Supplied medical supplies for all of the country. They had a big home. Lived close to, right next to Vince Gill. Lived on a golf course. They had it made and he loved me. Paid for my first year of college and wanted me to become his apprentice. His wanted me right there beside him. And I, I started out, but in the middle of all that, God got a hold of me and changed my life. And that night I went to the altar, I came back. God had a different plan for me. When I called my uncle and told him that I would not be going back for business and marketing, I would not be available for what he, you know, had, had in mind. He said, I said, I'll, I'll pay you back. He said, no, you won't. He said, I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you're finding your way. I'm proud you know what you're supposed to do. Go and be the best you can be. My life was completely transformed and changed by Jesus. I met him. I know him. He walks with me. He talks with me all along the way. I feel him, sense him. I'm learning more and more and more about him all the time. I'm getting closer to him every day. This thing, this thing he's done in my life. John said, go ask him if he's the one. Or should we look for another? They ran to Jesus. They said, Jesus, John's in prison. He sent us to ask you this question. Are you the coming one? Are you, are you the Messiah? Or should he look for another? Should we look for another? Jesus didn't get mad, didn't get all offended, didn't have a big old problem. He looked at him and he said these words. Go, tell John the things which you see and you hear. Tell him these things. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor are having the gospel preach to them. In other words, he was saying, this gospel, my gospel, my life-changing gospel is for all people. No more separations. No more us and them. No more good guys, bad guys. All people get this gospel. So go tell him about the lives that are changed. And that was all John needed. That's all he needed. I, don't, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly how he responded. But Jesus knew that that's all he needed. The lives that were changed. How many of you would say, my life was changed when I met Jesus? Amen. Stand up with me, please. He's real. Is real. This greatest Christmas question. You say, oh, you're finally going to bring it around to Christmas today, huh? Yeah, because the greatest answer to that question at Christmas was Bethlehem, a manger, a baby. To think that something extraordinary, supernatural, 
can't be explained humanly, took place on a hillside in a tiny little town where God invaded the earth and in the form of a tiny baby came to the earth to love us. And here we are in 2019 and I just came back from that place. And I'm going to tell you, he's real. It's still real. What I know in my heart is that he's real. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today, you'd say, you know what? I, I need to make that. I need to make that decision. I need things to be made right in my life. I need Jesus. Either renew a relationship with him that you've lost along the way, or maybe perhaps you've never made a relationship with him. See, I'm not, notice I'm not using the word religion. You'll find that at this church, we don't use the word religion very much because we don't believe in religion. Religion put Jesus on the cross. We believe in relationship with Jesus. You can know him for yourself. You can know him as your savior. You can talk to him. You can pray with him and he will affirm his love to you and guide you and direct you and lay on your heart the steps you're to take. He says, I order the steps of the righteous. He helps us in our life to make the decisions we need to make. This is the greatest thing ever. It's the most wonderful thing. This relationship you can have with Jesus. It's not a relationship with the church, although it's good to go to church because it helps you to grow and be strong in your life. We teach, we read the word, we pray, we worship together. It's a good thing, but it's not your salvation. The preachers are not your salvation. The denominations are not your salvation. The salvation is found in a relationship with Jesus. He comes into your heart, comes into your life, and he's ready to do that for you right now. So as we get ready to pray, I'm not going to ask you to come forward this morning. I'm just going to ask you to pray a simple prayer from your heart right there at your seat. Between you and God. If you pray this prayer from your heart, not just the words you speak. It's not just the words. It's not a magic formula. But if you pray from your heart, he says if a man or a woman will, will believe in their heart that he's the son of God, that he was raised from the dead, they confess that with their mouth by praying out loud, just praying this prayer today, making a confession of your faith. He says you're saved. That's it. Believe he is who he said he is. Believe that he died for you. That he rose from the dead and walked out of that tomb in Jerusalem. And that he sits at the right hand of the Father now. He's getting ready to come back for us again. You believe that this morning. You pray that prayer. Your whole life will change like mine did. Your whole future will be different. Things will change at your house. You'll have an understanding of problems. You'll know how to work through them. It'll be amazing how he'll guide you and direct you right like a maze, right out of the situations and in to overcoming victory. He declares we are more than overcomers through him. If you're ready to make that prayer today, if you need to make that, that prayer to Jesus, then I want you to just simply slip up your hand and write back down, and that's going to be your confession. God bless you. God bless you. Or any others. I need to make that prayer, Pastor, and I want to pray with you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. You don't have to lift your hand. You can just pray the prayer to Jesus, and that's okay. But it's the Bible's clear that you need to believe it, that you need to confess it. So I'll ask you, I'll give you the instruction to tell someone 
you pray this prayer today, but if you'd make a confession of your faith right now, would you just slip up your hand and write back down? God bless you. Hands are going up. God bless you. Is there another? I, I want to pray it. I want to make that confession this morning. God bless you. I see you. Hands going up all over. So awesome. Greatest decision you'll ever make in your whole life. Is there anyone else? I'll wait just a few seconds. All right, we're going to pray that prayer. If you didn't lift your hand, you can still pray it. But tell someone what you've done today. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. You are the Son of God. You died on that cross. You came out of that tomb. You rose from the dead. Be the Lord of my life. You said if I believe and I confess, I'm saved. I'm as good as anyone else who's ever accepted you. So now be Lord of my life until you come for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer, there's a table over here that's got some, some pamphlets, some information. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. We want to help you in your new walk with Jesus. So step over here to the side. Someone will be right there after service to help you. Um, I want Pastor Richard, if you will, to pray a prayer over us. Because here's what I want from us this year. 2020 vision. 2020 is coming up. I know God sent me to the Holy Land on purpose. So that I can come home and I can challenge us to be more committed, more dedicated, more real than we've ever been in our lives. To not trust in ourselves or our walk or our thoughts, our opinions, but to truly trust God and His ways, His will, His work. To be about the Father's business and to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. To be challenged to be more this year than we've ever been. To be more for Him than we've ever been. To be witnesses to people. To be the real deal, the authentic Christian that the Word talks about. The problem the world has with Christianity is they see a bunch of Christians that are hypocrites. Am I allowed to say that in here? They've seen so much hypocrisy that they don't want anything to do with our Jesus. So it's time for us to be the real deal so that people are drawn and attracted to the Jesus in you. Helen, I know you love him. Every word that comes out of your mouth is about praising and loving Jesus. You're one of the kindest ladies I've ever met. I want your Jesus. I want your Jesus, Elaine. Your Jesus is radical. Your Jesus is awesome. I want your Jesus. I want this year for us to be challenged to be who he's called us to be, the real deal. Amen? Richard, pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we're dismissed today, God, we want to go in your presence and power. God, not in our own strength, our own ability, but God, the one that we find in you, in an altar, in dedication. God, the one that we find at the end of our longings. God, that's the presence that we want to leave in. That's the power that we want to be in. We want to be transformed and changed, and we want to be marked by the miracles that come from fellowship with you. God, so we give you our hearts, our lives. 
God, our Christmas season, this next year, 2020, God, we lay down our lives and all that we are, we put it at your feet and ask, God, that you would come in and have your way to move and to work and to make all the difference and to impact the world for you, for you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we dedicate it all. Amen. 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 Give it all to you. Praise God. Praise God. Have a wonderful day. We do have a meet and greet for anybody that's new to our church that's been here in the last couple of weeks month.